Hi everyone, I'm Jason Scorse and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great. The title of this episode is Accountability for Powerful White Men in America. And this episode is going to be a little bit history and a little bit present moment. You know, to understand how a career criminal two-bit mobster like Trump could take over one of our two major political parties and become president, one has to understand the lack of accountability for powerful white men throughout our history that led to this moment. It's the only way to make sense of where we are in this country in 2023. Now, some of these themes I've touched on in earlier episodes, but I'm going to try to put it all together into something a little more coherent. Before I begin, let me say that, of course, White men and women in America every day are held accountable for crimes. I'm not saying that no white people are ever held accountable. Um, But the white people who are held accountable in America are disproportionately poor and not very powerful. So powerful white men and women, but particularly white men, have evaded accountability throughout most of our history. And of course... On the other flip side, black and brown people, despite being, um, you know, subjected to much more punishment in our legal system, if they have money, they can also get away with a lot of crimes. See O.J. Simpson, right? So again, I'm making a general point here, not that every single powerful white man or woman gets away with anything, or not that every single black and brown person doesn't get away with everything. But I'm talking about a larger trend, particularly in the political class, which is what I'm going to focus on, right? Because by and large, powerful white men, and again, mostly men, because in terms of our politics, it's mostly been men who have been the pinnacle of power, have gotten away with egregious criminal conduct for virtually all of our nation's history. Let's put aside that the founding fathers and the founding class of white men who, you know, set up this nation were slaveholders who tortured, raped, and brutalized their slaves for centuries. So let's just put aside that element, which of course is part of the story, but not the entire story. Let's start with the Civil War, right? So approximately three quarters of a million Americans died in this war. There are, you know, the official estimates are around 650,000, but that's been revised upward. We don't have specific counts. So let's just say three quarters of a million plus or minus, okay? It, that makes the Civil War not only the deadliest war in our entire history, but also, and this is the shocking part, the amount of Americans killed in the American Civil War is more than the Americans killed in every other war Americans have fought combined. More than World War I and World War II combined. Every single war combined is less than the amount of casualties and dead in the Civil War. So let's meditate on that for a minute and maybe take a little, you know, 
sidetrack here. I often comment on how violent and warlike America is. And I think one of the reasons for that is how few, relatively, Americans have died in wars, right? The total American dead for all the wars we have fought is less than 1.5 million. And look, let me, I'm not trying to be cavalier about 1.5 million dead. That's a lot of people, and I don't want anyone to die in, in war. You know, one is too much. But 1.5 million over 250 years, over dozens of wars. I mean, look at the list of wars Americans have been in. We're in a war, you know, every few years, every decade we're in a war. And 1.5 million for 250 years is a very small number relatively, right? For example, the Soviet Union lost around 25 million, maybe up to 27 million people in World War II alone. Right, so let that sink in. The Soviet Union lost 15 to 20 times as many people in one single war as Americans have lost in their entire history in war. Right? So that's just an amazing statistic to put it into context. A, how few Americans have died in war overall, relatively, but how many died in the Civil War, more than all our other wars combined, right? So by far the Civil War was the deadliest conflict we've ever experienced, and it was on our own soil, right? This wasn't in a foreign land. This was on our own soil, and it was sometimes brothers literally killing brothers. This was just a horrific, brutal war. And also, for that many people to be killed with low-technology weapons, right? So remember, the amount of people killed in the Civil War in the 1860s compared to you know machine guns and poison gas and airplanes, None of that existed. This was brutal, brutal combat, often in close quarters, people getting bayoneted and stabbed and shot in the face, right? This is a brutal, brutal war. And how did it start? It started by this treasonous act by the southern states who wanted to secede from the, 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 from the Union and break up the United States, right? It was a treasonous act. Right? It's, the, you know, it's, the, it's the strongest act against the United States you could possibly do. And so how did we treat the leaders of the Confederacy after the war, once they were defeated? Right? Did we imprison them all for life? Did we hang them? Right? So some of the leaders were imprisoned immediately after the war. Not all, but some. But then President Johnson pardoned and granted amnesty to all Confederates in 1868, only a few short years after the end of the war. And many of them died peacefully in their beds at old age. Some of them were even college presidents. Just think about that. You initiate a treasonous, seditionous war against your own country that leads to the, what turns out to be the most amount of dead ever in your history for centuries. Brutal, brutal war. And afterward, when you, you know, are defeated, right? you're defeated, what happens? You kind of get away with it. And you go on with your life, and you go back home, and you, you die peacefully in your bed. Like, I mean, that's just an incredible fact that we just don't really deal with, right, in our society. Right? There was basically no accountability whatsoever for those who had committed the highest possible crime against the nation. Now, I'm obviously not here to do a full history lesson. There's tens of thousands, you know of words and pages and, you know, more than tens of thousands, millions of words and hundreds and thousands of books 
on the Civil War and the, and the Reconstruction period. And, you know, I can recommend some of those to people if they're interested, just send me an email. But the Reconstruction period after the Civil War is famous for the amazing advances that were made by blacks in southern states, which were then brutally reversed and repressed by southern whites, which led to another century of terror for blacks, really up until the civil rights movements of the 1950s and 60s. Right. And, you know, you read about some of this where, you know, these the most racist southern states all of a sudden had, you know, black legislators and and, and you know, throughout the, their their state government and city governments and, and blacks were really enfranchised. They were coming out to vote. And what's so sad is that, you know, we had the prospect of real, true democracy. And then again, the southern whites just could not fucking handle it. And they just brutalized black people for another century. Now, President Grant did send in federal soldiers to try to protect blacks many times. But the reality is there was just little appetite in the North. Remember, it's not like the North were fully enlightened and, you know, for equality. Right. And to have sustained violence, sustained troops suppressing whites in in the South, you know, to keep them from brutalizing blacks. There just wasn't the appetite for that. And, you know, it's it's just a sad part of our history. But we just finally said, you know, kind of fuck it. Right. Like, fuck it. We can't just keep sending federal troops forever. We're going to kind of let the southern whites do what they want. It's not slavery. So we've ended slavery, but it's going to be one step close to slavery. And we're going to kind of just turn the other cheek, not turn the other cheek is made the right wrong way, but just turn a blind eye. Right. And then let's let's see how, in, you know, insult was added to injury here. Right. Many schools throughout the South were named after Confederate leaders, many army bases. And then, of course, into the early 20th century, statues were erected in their honor. Millions of black children in the South have attended public schools named after Jefferson Davis, the architect of the Southern Confederate secession. That would be equivalent to Jewish kids in Germany attending Adolf Hitler High School. Literally. But we we don't even bat an eye. Jefferson David High School, right? This is the a leader of the treasonous Confederate movement, right? The point here is that by not holding Confederate leaders to account, right, we allowed these false narratives of Southern culture and pride and the lost cause to flourish. And this mythology, this bullshit mythology to kind of take root, which to this day has set back the cause of equality, right? You know, we're going on, you know, 160 years later after the end of the Civil War, and we're still debating this bullshit, right? Because we didn't hold these people to account. Because we let this stuff just fester. Right? And of course, no one suffered more than the blacks who were terrorized for another century under Jim Crow. And, you know, thousands of whom were viciously lynched in town squares for decade after decade. And let's not forget, most of the whites who during these decades murdered black people were never held to account. Not just the powerful ones, even the unpowerful ones. They were often acquitted by all white juries, right down to the murderers of Emmett Till, who then openly admitted that they had killed him, but, oh, the trial was done, and, yep, now it's too too late for justice. All right? Right, so look, it would be amazing to know the counterfactual. What would America look like today 
If the Confederate leaders had been tried and sentenced and imprisoned for life or hung for treason, right? And they had been treated as the traitors they actually were, right? I'm not saying America would be perfect. I'm not saying there'd be no racism, of course. That's, that's ridiculous. But it probably would be a lot less. The, the cause of equality would probably be advanced much, much further if we had held these people to account. Because there's almost nothing that's worse than letting people get away with literally murder because then they feel they can do it again. And that's what powerful white people and then their following have done throughout American history is as they get away with it, they don't reform. They don't go, oh, wow, I was so lucky. I got away with it. I better be good now. They just say, fuck it, and they keep doing it. So this context is very important as we move to the present era, which I'll touch on right after the break. Okay, so moving forward to the modern era, let's say from the 1960s to the present, the failure to hold powerful white men accountable for lying to the American public and for outright criminality has continued apace and has included both Democratic and Republican administrations, though, of course, Republicans have been much worse overall than Democrats. So let's start with Lyndon Johnson lying about the Vietnam War. He lied about the the Bay of Tonkin incident that dramatically increased our involvement in the war. Go look that up if you want, about how the Americans lied about that and Johnson lied about that to use it as justification for getting more military um, involved in Vietnam. And then Johnson continued to lie to the American people about the progress of the war. And a lot of this was documented in that great documentary, The Errol Morris, The Fog of War with McNamara about how they just continually lied to the American people about the progress, and that we just kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And no one ever faced any accountability, ever. Nothing, right? I mean, lying about war, think about that. You know, you're, getting, you're not only killing foreigners, but, you know, tens of thousands of American kids who were drafted. Remember, these people did not volunteer. They were coerced and forced into fighting and then killed based on lies and no accountability. Right, And then when Nixon took over, he lied about the war too. And he and Kissinger bombed Cambodia illegally, killing many more people. Again, all illegal, no accountability whatsoever. And Kissinger, Henry Kissinger, to many people's disgust, he just turned 100. That evil motherfucker just turned 100. And he was still being celebrated to this day by the American elite. With, you know, our secretaries of state going to his birthday party and all these dignitaries for his 100th birthday party, despite the fact that he's a fucking liar and a war criminal, right? Of course, Nixon was never held account for his lies that led up to his resignation, and then he was pardoned by Gerald Ford, right? So this is another kind of theme. Rich, powerful white men 
pardoning rich, powerful white men, right? It's a kind of revolving door of lack of accountability. Then we move on to Reagan, who illegally funded right-wing death squads in Latin America and traded weapons to the Iranians in exchange for the release of the U.S. hostages and was never held to account, right? Nor were most of the people in his administration who assisted. Many of them who were held to account were then pardoned by George Bush the first, right? So again, another powerful white guy pardoning powerful white people, right? Then we fast forward to George Bush II, who lied about the Iraq war along with Dick Cheney. They tortured people. They trashed the Mideast. They killed hundreds of thousands of people, wasted trillions of dollars, killed thousands of Americans. No consequences whatsoever. You know, when George Bush's birthday comes around, they do these puff pieces about how he draws paintings about wounded soldiers, you know, and how he doesn't have any regrets. I don't fucking care what he thinks. Where's the accountability? Right? Zero. None. Right? And then, of course, we come to the present with the Trump presidency, and that was nothing but a nonstop criminal enterprise. Right? And one of the figures that stands out, really, from the whole Trump presidency is Roger Stone. Right, because Roger Stone was part of Nixon's administration. He was part of the corruption of Nixon's cabinet. And right after he was tried and convicted in 2019 for the charges that were outlined in the Mueller report of massive corruption, right, and he was convicted. He was going to serve time in jail, and then he was commuted by Trump. And then what did he do? Did he go, oh my God, I, I just, you know, I barely got out. They finally caught up to me. I almost did time in federal prison. I better be a good citizen. No. Right after the election, we now have tapes that he outlined and explained in detail how they were going to do the fake elector plot to overturn Biden's victory. Right, So you have this motherfucker, Roger Stone, who's just been a corrupt fucking asshole for 50 years. And again, evades accountability time and time again. And then he gets worse. So this is the key. As people evade accountability, they don't become repentant. They become more corrupt, more criminal, because they realize they can just get away with anything, right? And so that brings us again to the very present, right? So as much as I think Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice slow walked the January 6th investigations of Trump and, you know, his cabal, it's important to take a step back and recognize that right now, for the first time in our history, powerful white men are being held to account. It's such a rare thing that it really requires us to take a step back, right? Traders like Eastman and Clark, who thought they could wear suits and ties and talk about legal theories about why a coup was okay, are now going to be tried and likely spend hard time in federal prison, right? I think the chance that Biden pardons any of them is zero. I think Trump will be convicted too, and I think he will serve time in prison, although that's a lot more complicated, and that's a story for another day, right? Of course, on top of this, hundreds of the January 6th rioters have been tried and convicted with hundreds in federal prison, and the leaders of the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers are getting long prison sentences too, right? This is having an effect because the MAGA crowd is seeing really for the first time in our history... There are serious consequences to treason all the way to the top, right? And so people are going to think, right, when Trump asked them to try to overturn the 2024 election, they might not be so quick next time because they're going to see people in fucking jail 
And that it's not just a game. You know, p- powerful white people can't just play a game. It's not just all fun and games, right? And this is crucial because without accountability, there is no end to corruption and criminality. Of course, look, I don't want to be naive here. There's always going to be corruption of some amount and criminality, no matter how strong the legal system is, right? But without accountability, it can take down a society, right? And we're seeing that. We're seeing what the lack of accountability, decade after decade, finally led to them just saying, we're just going to do a coup. We're just going to try to overthrow the fucking government. We don't fucking care. And then Trump, who literally did a coup, is now going to be the nominee for the Republican Party. And he needs to fucking lose badly. So maybe Republicans say, you know what? Coup plotters shouldn't nominate those anymore. Right? Now, of course, we're seeing Trump and the right wing threaten judges, grand juries, and the entire legal system. Right? I think the Department of Justice and federal judges are not going to tolerate this because they understand what a grave threat it is. If you're threatening the people who actually participate in the legal system, again, that can just disintegrate the entire rule of law, right? So look, this is going to be a trying time as Trump and the other traitors are tried in court. And it is going to be absolutely necessary to be really strong and firm with them, right? Because this is how you maintain the rule of law. Now, the irony here, of course, is that the right wing is supposed to be the law and order party. But yet, that's just another lie, right? As evidenced by their actions. If you're the law and order party, you don't threaten judges. You don't fucking take the the side of a corrupt fucking career criminal like Trump and say they're weaponizing the GOJ. Isn't it funny that no one on the right wing says Trump is innocent? They never say, let him have his day in court. And let's, he's going he's gonna to be proven innocent because he has the evidence. They just attack the legal system because they don't give a fuck about the rule of law. They, as long as white, powerful men like them can get away with shit, they don't care about the rule of law. And again, this isn't my opinion. Look at their actions. Look at what they're doing. They're literally threatening the people in the justice system, in the legal system. That's the opposite of the rule of law. That's mob rule, right? That's fucking criminality. So it's just an amazing time. And again, this is going to be an intense time. But this is the first time powerful white men are being held to account and are going to be facing serious prison time. And it is fucking long overdue. So antidote right after the break. Be still and hear the words of my father. Babylon, surrender, oh Lord, retreat, wicked men of Babylon, surrender, retreat, wicked men of Babylon, surrender, yeah, retreat, wicked men of Babylon, surrender. Okay, for the antidote today, I highly recommend that you tune in to the Bulwark's Thursday episodes that are entitled The Trump Trials. They are simply outstanding. Charlie Sykes has Ben Wittes from the Lawfare um, website and podcast, and his colleagues come on the show, and they talk about all the recent developments, and they just have super cogent and smart analysis. 
So if you really want to follow the issues, these larger issues of all these trials related to the coup on January 6th, this is the go-to source. And I want to say it's really increased my confidence in the people who are prosecuting these cases. You know, Smith, Fonnie Willis, all the judges, you know, who are really at the top echelon, they seem like they're uniformly brilliant and really strategic, right? This, the episode I, I'm going to link to in the show notes is particularly good because it's the first one right after all the four cases have been initiated. And the discussions about the deterrence of kind of these cases is real are really deep and profound because this really gets to the core here, right? That like if you can't maintain the rule of law, you don't have a society. And this is the basis for society is that people are treated equally and people you know who are criminals can't just threaten judges and juries. Look, and so when someone says something about how all these prosecutions are going to tear the country apart or lead to more division and polarization, right? Remember that the opposite is true. Without accountability in America, we will never be a just and decent society. Never. Only when every man and woman of any race or income level or status realizes that they will be prosecuted if they commit crimes can we have a sane and decent society. And we're in the process right now of trying to make that happen. And so big props to the people who are doing this, right? This is fucking hard work. And they're under incredible stress. And they're being threatened by the former president of the United States. So we need to stand with them and really be strong that this is important for the country, right? We need to do this. We need to show that everybody is accountable. Nobody is above the law for real, not just on fucking paper, for real. So anyway, buckle up because it's going to be a wild time in America this next months and years. It is not going to get boring. And with that, everybody, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, please share it with family, friends, and colleagues. Rate it, subscribe on Apple, iTunes, uh, Spotify, and Amazon Music. There's also, if you like the music, there's a Spotify playlist, the DZA podcast playlist on Spotify where I put all the tunes. And with that, everybody, have a good one. Stay safe. Take care.